Well, I want to thank you all for coming out today. Um, this is obviously an amazing moment for us. Uh, I think it was several months ago, right before the mandate came down, that we were ready to have a baptism service. And uh, the elders were meeting at lunch hour, and the news broke, and the mandates came down. And uh, we discovered that uh, the SDA church also was going to be shut down that weekend as well. And um, we made some phone calls, and some of you were on your way to the airport. And, uh, you know, we got delayed. But God is sovereign, and God is good. His timing is perfect, even at times when we don't fully understand it. And uh, this testimony that we're here today is to really celebrate his work in the lives of some very special brothers and sisters. Very special, not because of anything that they have done or accomplished in and of themselves, but special because they're beloved of the Lord. He's done a mighty work in their hearts and lives. And we're so thankful to the Lord for doing that. Uh, there's also a special thanks uh, this morning to all the families and friends who have come out and joined us uh, this morning in the midst of wearing masks and COVID and all those other things to make the effort to come out here to show your love for these dear saints. And also, though, a special thanks to the many members of Lighthouse Bible Church. This was certainly a full church effort to get all of this together, including... Um, making phone calls to see if sprinklers could be turned off in the morning and warm water and a kitty tub and all of those other things and debating whether we should be down at the ocean, which was my preference. But, um, but here we are. The Lord is the king of this church and he gets to say what happens. So let's come to him and let's give thanks to the one who has indeed paid it all. Lord Jesus, what a savior, what a Lord, the eternal son of God, beloved by the father, um, full of the Spirit, and yet you gave up your kingdom in glory and in heaven to come and descend and enter into our darkness, to live a life that we could never live in obedience to the word, to be humiliated, to be rejected, and to receive the shame that we deserved for the sin of the world, and to endure the wrath of God against sin to take our place so that we in turn might die to sin and so that we might live a new life, your life, that we might live with you, by you, and for you, and that we might do so as part of the household of God in your church, not our church, your household, and as part of your family. Lord, we're not worthy of this, and we're not worthy of being part of this. And yet you have condescended in humility and in love and in steadfast love and mercy to make this possible. So we thank you for that. And we just ask for your help this day because we desperately need your help, Lord, uh, for this to be your moment and not ours. In your name we pray. Amen. I want to take a few minutes this morning before you hear the testimonies of those who are about to be baptized. This is really the Lord's day and his work in their life. Uh, but we want to take a few minutes to consider what baptism is about, to sort of set the stage, if you will, and lay a foundation for what you're about to witness here. Because what you're about to witness here is a supernatural work of God. And I know that sounds crazy in this scientific age and in this scientific valley. But as we come to God's word, that's what he describes uh, is being illustrated or being demonstrated here. As we come to God's word, 
and we look at what the Lord has to say about baptism. What are we really talking about? Why have we gathered here today? Well, we're gathered here today by Christ's command. It's the Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ, who commanded that, as you heard Ted read, that we go into all the world, that we baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that's part of making disciples of Jesus Christ. That's a work that God does and changes their lives. And then we're to teach them to observe everything that the Lord has commanded, not some but everything, that baptism is really just a beginning, okay? And as we go to God's word, because that's the standard, I know we've all been exposed to different baptisms. We've seen infant baptisms. We've seen sprinkling. We've seen spontaneous baptisms. We've seen all manner of different baptisms throughout the history of the church and in the history of America. But what does God's word say and what does Christ command? Well, the testimony of God's word is that by both example and instruction, example and instruction, the Lord Jesus gave his church, the household of God, that's the gathering of his disciples, just two ordinances for the church to observe and carry out. And that's baptism and the Lord's Supper. And both of these events, baptism and the Lord's Supper, are really all about fellowship with Christ. They're about life with Christ. We can get confused. We can think that this is an act that is done by the church that lets you know you're a good person or that you're saved or you're something special. Not true, okay? Uh, what it is, it's an illustration of a work that God has done in the life of his disciples, of uniting their life together with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that Jesus has become their Lord. And to help us understand that, we're going to look to God's Word. We're going to look to Romans chapter 5, verse 18. And we're going to go through the first words of chapter 6. And this is the Apostle Paul writing to the saints and the beloved of God in the city of Rome, in the church in Rome. Okay? And the Apostle Paul explains what's going on behind this visible baptism that we see, the work of the Lord that's happening. In Romans 5.18, he says, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, and he's referring here to Adam, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, and he's referring to Jesus Christ here, the many will be made righteous. They will be made righteous. They won't achieve righteousness on their own. They won't do things or get baptized to be righteous. They will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. 6 verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him 
in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul here, he's not writing to just anyone. He's not making a public service statement. Very specifically, he is writing to the disciples of Jesus Christ in Rome in first century AD. And these are people who he refers to as the beloved of God in Rome and those who are called as saints. Saints meaning the sanctified ones, the ones who have been made holy, not through anything that they've done or achieved in and of themselves, but by the work that God has done in their lives by uniting their lives together with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so we see as he's talking about, what he's talking about here is not water baptism, okay? It's important to realize water baptism is really a picture illustration of what the Apostle Paul is describing here. The Apostle Paul here is talking about the work of salvation that God is doing, that there's a baptism, a spiritual baptism going on. And the baptism that he's describing along with the Lord's Supper, okay, both of those are really all about our relationship with Jesus Christ. How are we related to Jesus Christ? But it's also about another relationship. And this one is equally important. We don't talk about this very much. It's our relationship with sin, our relationship to the world, and our relationship to the ruler of this world, Satan. Okay? One relationship is going to affect another relationship. In the same way, when a couple and a man and woman get married, that changes all their relationships. And in many ways, what we're doing here in this ceremony of baptism, it's like a wedding ceremony. We are celebrating a love that already exists and has been made manifest in someone's life and is a mighty work of the Lord in bringing two lives together. Except the two lives that we're talking about here is the life of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the person who is being baptized. And that word baptized comes from the Greek word baptizo. And that word baptizo is a reference to something that is being fully immersed. And in the ancient Near East and in Greco-Roman times, that word baptizo, tidzo, excuse me, that verb was used to describe, principally there were two things that it was used commonly to describe. One were, was ships, ships that sunk. Baptizo means those ships that hit reefs and went all the way down and were fully immersed in the water. And the other reference for baptizo as far as that idea of full immersion was in the dye industry. In the dye industry where linen or cloth were immersed in a dye and they would go into that dye, let's say they were white like this, and they would go in and they would be immersed and they would be stained with purple or scarlet or whatever different colors were being used in order to make clothes. And they would emerge a completely different color. And what was valueless that went into that dye in the beginning 
would emerge with expensive dyes like the purple dye that was made from crustaceans and shellfish and they would scrape that and use that to have that purple royal dye. They would go in worthless but they would emerge and come out being of immense worth and in order to provide for a livelihood for an entire industry or an entire family. That's how that word baptizo was frequently used in the Greco-Roman world. And when it's applied to our spiritual life, it's meant as a God-given picture illustration or a metaphor. In the New Testament, after Jesus' death and his resurrection and his ascension to heaven, baptism was given to the church as its act on behalf of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit by command of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, this act of publicly immersing a person in water. And to do so in the name of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, that's the God of the Bible, the triune God, three persons, one being, and that's what sets apart the Lord from all the other gods that are proclaimed in the world. Okay, And this act served as a God-given symbol or testimony not of the person's work, but of God's work of salvation in the life of the person being baptized. It was a symbol or a testimony that this person does not save themselves. If you watch what happens today, everything that happens is going to be, on behalf of the person being baptized, for the most part, passive. They are going to be put down into the water. They're going to be lifted up. I may need some extra help with some, okay? But the idea is that this is being done to them. They are being immersed and they're being lifted up. It's completely a passive event that is happening. The only action on behalf of the person being baptized, superficially here, okay? It's faith that their pastor is going to be able to pull them up out of the water, right? It's, it's faith and, and receiving. It's a willingness to say, okay, I'm going to let you do this to me. It's an act of faith. And that's what baptism is really a picture of, of God's work in a person's life and their willingness to receive and embrace this work in their life by faith in the one who is baptizing them. And when the church does this, they're acting not on their own behalf, but they're acting on behalf of God and under his command in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's why we are going to say at the end, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we're going to say on behalf of Lighthouse Bible Church, because it's the church acting under Christ's authority that is doing this. This is not sort of a consumer event where you show up at 7-Eleven and you decide that you want to buy, let's say, some Gatorade or some chocolate, and you splash your change across the counter, and you're given this in exchange. Okay? It is an official act that is being done on behalf of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and on behalf of God. That's, that's a big deal. And as we go through this passage with Paul, Paul highlights for us several things, but I'm going to highlight four things that Paul points out that the act of baptism is a symbol or testimony that God is illustrating for us. He's showing us, and as you go through your scriptures, you're going to see that God does this on a repeated basis. As you go through the scriptures, God, who is a spirit and is not visible, provides visible illustrations for his people to let us know what he is doing inside us, what we can't see. It's a teaching illustration, or if you will, it's a whiteboard for us. And the first thing that the Lord does for us is he shows us that baptism is a symbol and picture 
of a life that has been immersed in the spirit and life of Jesus Christ. It's about a life that has been immersed in the life and spirit of Jesus Christ. When you jump into a swimming pool or you dive in, you are immersed in that water. It means you are completely surrounded. It means your entire context is that water. But even more so, that word baptizo, as it's used of a ship, is the idea of a ship sinking down and that everything in that ship dies. And everything that is in that ship is filled entirely with the water. Okay? Baptism, in the same way, is to be an illustration that the person who you are seeing who is having this done at the church, this person already, their life has been fully immersed by God in the life and spirit of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's another technical term that's used for that. It's our union with Christ. Our union with Christ. That's not used very much, okay? But the idea is that this person's life is completely different. Their life before was completely immersed in the things of the world. Great career, great academic degree, making the most money, becoming president, being in the White House, having the yacht, all of those different things. Their context was the world, which is being ruled by Satan. And the economy of the world is you work as hard as you can to get the best you can, so survival of the fittest, so you can be at the top of the food chain. Baptism is a symbol that all of that has changed. That your life is no longer immersed in the things of the world or the ethos or economy of the world. Your life is now immersed in the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Your life is now immersed with his spirit and his life. That there is a real change that has happened because Christ's spirit dwells in you. That's a supernatural work of the Lord. God is the one who has united your life together. Baptism is a symbol of a picture of a life that has been united with Christ and is immersed in Christ. Second thing that Paul points out for us here, and Paul makes that point when he says in verse 3 that you've been baptized into Christ Jesus, or you've been immersed in Christ Jesus because you've been united with him. Okay? The second thing that Paul does is he points out that baptism is a symbol and a picture of dying to sin. It's a picture and a symbol of a death of an old way of life. Like a ship that's submerged in that sea where everybody on board has died. It's the idea that everything in your life that has filled up your life and made it of value before and that was precious to you, that's over. That's dead. And in many ways, it's symbolic as we talk about for those of you who are engaged and you're doing your premarital now and you're getting ready to get married. Part of the preparation that we walk through with you is that because your marriage belongs to Christ, everything is going to change. Your life together with this person who you're getting married, it's completely new. It's no longer appropriate for you to carry on your life as a single person with your roommates. No, you've got a completely new life with this person, which is meant to be different in every way. Well, that's the beautiful thing that the Lord is illustrating here. What he's doing, it is demonstrating that a death has taken place. And it's not, brothers and sisters, a death that we mourn. In fact, it's a death that we celebrate. We mourn the loss of something valuable or important. If I lost a, a valuable watch or a good friend, I would be sad over that. But if I lost a disease or I lost an illness, if I lost a problem, or if I lost someone in my life who was not treating me well or was taking advantage of me, 
boy, I would celebrate that. I would celebrate that in an amazing way. And baptism is a celebration that, that this is what the Lord has done. He's come into your life, and he himself has destroyed, by uniting your life with Christ, and uniting your life with the crucifixion of Christ, he's destroyed the power and rule in your life of those things that were destroying your life beforehand. Now, do people who are baptized still struggle after they get baptized? Are they completely perfect when they come out? No. As we read the rest of Scripture, we see that the Lord has a plan. And that plan is that as a disciple of Christ, from the beginning of your baptism until Jesus comes again or until you die, the Lord graciously, slowly, bit by bit, piece by piece, is transforming you into the image of his Son. And that's the graciousness of our Lord. If he was to do it all right away, for most of us, it would be too much for us to bear. So there's a process that happens step by step. But what we should be seeing when the Spirit is present is that step by step, moment by moment, we are becoming more like the one who we are united with. Very similar to a married couple who stays together for a long time and are devoted and love one another. Over time, they become more like one another. Well, even more so we see with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And for that to happen, there needs to be a death of what has happened before. And that, brothers and sisters, is a death that we celebrate. The third thing that Paul makes reference to here okay, is that not only is there a death and an immersion into a new life, but baptism is a symbol and picture of being completely washed by God. The illustration that's given is of that of a dirty rag that is immersed into a powerful solvent that comes and wipes away every stain so that when that cloth is brought out of that solvent, it comes out white as snow and is now useful, whereas before when it was tarnished and filled with dirt, it was good for nothing but to be discarded. This rag has become a robe of righteousness. It's one of the reasons why those who are being baptized today are wearing white gowns. Okay, it's not, you know, because we're anything special. It's meant to be a symbol or a picture illustration of what the Lord has done in their life. He's washed them completely from their sin. And he's removed the guilt of their sin. And so as disciples move on into that new life, and they struggle with different things, like howling dogs, right? They, they struggle, but with the noise of their life of, you did this in your past life. You did this in your past life. You slept with this person. You stole from this. You lied to this person. The testimony of baptism for them is that, guess what? Any man in Christ is a new creation. Behold, old things have passed away. All things have become new. Why? Because you've been immersed in the blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who gave his life as the sacrifice for your sin. And God himself has declared you righteous. And God himself has said you are precious. And God himself has said, you are my beloved child. You belong to me. Through thick and through thin, you're mine. And that is something that is so worth celebrating in so many different ways. And that's why the Apostle Paul in verse 5 and 6 says, For if we have been, if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, our old self was crucified with him, that our body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Will these people up here still stumble? Will they still sin? Will they still make uh, decisions that are contrary 
to the Word of God? Yes, they will. But there's a big distinction. They belong to the Lord now. Those sins are covered. And because they're children of God, God is going to pursue them. He's going to discipline them. He's going to correct them like he would because they are his children. And he's going to bring them back to him. And what's availed to them is that washing that Christ has accomplished on the cross that is sufficient not just for some of our sin, but all of our sins. And this brings us to our final point from Romans chapter 6. Baptism is a symbol or picture of the gift of a new life in Christ. Baptism is a symbol and picture of the gift of a new life in Christ. The idea of that rag being brought out of the water, the idea of that cloth that is stained and brought out and made into something precious, that is being brought of that, that ship that is in the darkness in the water and that idea of being brought out and lifted into the light. The idea is that this is just the beginning. It's not the end. It's the beginning of a new life with Christ. That is what baptism is pointing to. And this new life is the new life of a disciple of Jesus Christ who has been born from above, who has been born again, a person who has died to that old life of sin, but that's not where they stay, someone who has an entirely new life that is empowered and lived out by faith in the one who has loved them, given his life for them, and has saved them. Baptism is a symbol not only of God uniting a life together with someone, with Christ, but it is a symbol of his sanctification of them, of his bringing them in, of his participation, of him actually, our Lord and Savior, actually living his life in this person and through them. Now, I know that's hard to get our arms around. And I know that in our world, it seems like science fiction. But if you look at the history of the church, and if you look at the history of the scriptures, this is the testimony of those who have been truly children of God. They are people whose lives have been transformed. And the life they live is a completely new life that looks like Jesus. That, brothers and sisters, is what baptism is a celebration of. And what we do here is we take these individuals and we immerse them in water and bring them out. Nothing we do here is saving them or changing them. Nothing that I do here is washing away their sin. Nothing that I do here is making them into a special person. It's strictly by command of Christ what we're doing is to affirm what the Lord has already done in their life. Well, how do we know that? How do we walk through? How does the church go through that process? The folks who are before you have walked through a process that's been several months. And that several-month process of walking through the scriptures of what Christ teaches about baptism is a process which involves an application on their behalf, but also spending time with members of the church and also the elders gathering together and the leaders gathering together to be part of their lives. And there are three areas that we consider. We consider a person's conduct. We consider a person's confession. And we consider a person's conscience. Three things, conduct, conscience, and confession. What does this person say and what comes out of their mouth? Is it something that looks like Jesus, or does it not? And is that the pattern of a person over an extended period of time? How about their conduct? Does their conduct display 
a life that has been transformed by the Spirit of God that we can only explain, not by education or Sunday school classes or growing up in church, but that we can say, wow, it would seem to be that this person's life has been changed supernaturally by the Spirit of God. How about their conscience? The things that they're sensitive to, the things that bother them, the things that weigh on their heart that they're concerned about. What you're going to hear in the testimonies today, you're going to hear testimonies of people who the things that they've become concerned about were things that they really didn't give two hoots about two years ago, three years ago. They were non-issue for them, but now these things are important. Like, how do I please Jesus Christ? How do I love my brother? How do I give sacrificially, whereas before what I would do is take all of these different things. And so those are things that in the church we refer to as repentance and faith in Christ. That's God's work in someone's life when they change them. Like a couple who gets married. When they get married, that person's life and the orientation is completely different. Their priority is the spouse that they've married, not their old single friends. And they live, and the direction of their life is to invest in the love in that marriage, that it is immersed in the love of that marriage. In the same way that idea or the evidence of a life that's transformed is a pattern for the entirety of their life, of repentance, of turning from sin and the things of this world, and living by faith, full confidence and trust in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the one who saved them, that every aspect of their life is lived by his guidance, his power, and by his steadfast love that has transformed them. Brothers and sisters, that is what baptism, what we're doing here, is a picture, illustration, and a symbol. And the reason Christ commands it is he commands disciples where this has actually happened in their life to make a public proclamation to everyone so that everyone in their lives knows this is who my Lord is. This is what has happened to me. In 1 Corinthians 6.9, the Apostle Paul writes, and I'll close with this, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. I'm going to say that a second time. And such were some of you. He's writing to the Corinthians and said, this, this was your past life. But you were washed. But you were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Brothers and sisters, baptism is a picture illustration of those words that what the Apostle Paul just wrote is the reality of those who have come forward and said, the Lord has done this, the church affirms, the Lord has done this to the best of our ability. And what we are saying is, to the world and to the public, this is what the Lord has done. And it's an obedience to Christ's command because Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him pick up his cross, let him deny himself, and let him follow me. In other parts of the world, not necessarily in America, to be baptized is a death sentence, especially in the Muslim community. 
throughout the history of the church to be baptized is to make a public statement that is going to cost you something. To those who Paul was writing in Rome, their allegiance was to be given to the emperor who considered himself a god. And to be baptized was to make a public statement that your Lord was not Caesar Augustus or Nero, your Lord was Jesus Christ. And to do so publicly and to go publicly with that meant that you might lose your job, you might be thrown in prison, or you might be put in the arena, or as the Apostle Paul and Peter eventually had their heads cut off. It's a statement to say, my life is in Christ's hands. And because it's in Christ's hands, in this life and the next, I have joy, I have goodness, I have favor, I have hope, because the Lord has made me his child. Brothers and sisters, that's what we get to celebrate today and get a front row seat. And it is something wonderful indeed. At this time, we're going to ask those who are going to be baptized to come up and share their testimonies so you can hear their personal stories of what the Apostle Paul has just described. After the person gives that testimony, we're going to get into our kitty tub up here. Okay. And I comfort myself that there were probably baptisms happening in catacombs and prison cells and in many different places. It's merely testimony to what's happening inside. And we're going to have them kneel and we're going to immerse them and we're going to bring them back out. And we're going to say, we baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to communicate to everybody the authority with which this is done, but also who they belong to now. In the same way in a wedding where we declare someone husband and wife, that declaration is a declaration that this person now belongs to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ.